Hey guys, it's Rich. When it comes to protecting company data, it's not just about the technology you employ to protect the beachhead. It's about defining the risks related to your business's objectives, establishing accountability frameworks and decision-making hierarchies, developing oversight processes and procedures, and of course, mitigation plans and strategies. How will you respond when there's an emergency? In short, we're talking about corporate governance. If there's someone who knows a thing or two about corporate governance, it's Mark Nichols. Mark is partner and chief executive officer at Information Professionals Group, an organization helping clients navigate the growing tech challenges facing businesses operating in a digital world. With over 30 years of experience driving technology transformation in Australian organizations, Mark is the expert companies turn to when looking for help developing a world-class cybersecurity strategy. While my conversation with Mark was brief, the lessons learned will last a lifetime. I hope you agree. By the way, I haven't mentioned this before, but this podcast has a website. When you get a chance, go check us out at privacyfiles.com. It's the best place to submit your guest recommendations, and soon we'll have a place for topic requests as well. And as always, thank you to all who continue to support our mission to make the topic of privacy and identity protection approachable to everyone. If you like what we're doing here at Privacy Files, maybe I could ask you for just one small favor. Grab your phone, open up your podcast player, and consider giving us a five-star rating. It takes only a few seconds, helps us expand our reach, and lets us know that we're on the right track. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. You're listening to Privacy Files. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating identity protection solutions into their software. And have you heard about the MySudo web browser extension? Breaking your online data trail just got way easier. To learn more, visit MySudo.com. That's MySudo.com. Mark, welcome to Privacy Files. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, great to have you here. This is a fascinating topic. We've touched on a little bit here and there throughout the podcast, but we have not really gone into depth in this area. So you're the partner and CEO at Information Professionals Group, which is based in Australia. So what does the IPG do? Thanks, Rich. Well, yeah, super happy to be here. And yeah, IPG is based east coast of Australia. I'm personally based in Brisbane, and uh, we have a team across the East Coast, Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne, and we work with a lot of government organisations. We always have right from the start, federal, state and local, and then moved into working with government-owned utilities, government-owned healthcare, and then privately owned in those areas, and, and then private companies more broadly now is an increasing part of what we do. And we work in the strategy area, so helping organisations work out you know, where are they going to invest, what's important in terms of their priorities, and where are they going to put in their attention to get the best business outcomes, try and implement business strategy as much as they can through technology. And one area, implementation services from business case, scope development, uh, project management, 
everything across the life cycle, but not technology specific. Organizations will have specialists that you know, we can help them procure, for instance. We don't have those technical specialties. We're more about the management expertise that sits around that. And of course, if we're talking about management expertise, then risk and cyber is the third arm. And so it fits into strategy. You can't be thinking about strategy unless you're thinking about risk, thinking about cyber in particular. And you can't be doing delivery unless you're actually fitting cyber into the life cycle of how projects get delivered. But then we also deliver risk and cyber services in their own right also. So I guess long before you actually get to the infrastructure implementation, all of the more tactical side of it, you're upstream thinking about the strategy and how you're going to architect the system to respond to different threats and how you will go through the decision-making process. So you're upstream in the cybersecurity space. Yeah, typically that's right. And that could even be further upstream in terms of you know, pre-architecting solutions. It could be upstream looking at, okay, what's their, their business risk appetite and how does that link into technology risks? It could be looking at capabilities that they'll need to manage those risks and to what degree do they need those capabilities in-house, to what degree are they going to be looking at sourcing arrangements from the marketplace. At the downstream side, of course, often thought about downstream, although it's preparation, is you know, things like you know, red team activities, uh, tabletop exercises. You know, these are all very much tied in with how a business operates. If you're doing a tabletop exercise, yes, you've got cyber skills in there, but you better have you know, corporate communications, incident management, uh, crisis management, potentially, all these types of business skills to think about, uh, and maybe legal as well, to, to look at, well, how does the organisation as a whole handle situations that are going to occur? And uh, and that has to be a, a business-oriented discussion, not a, a bunch of technologists sitting in the back room, right? Yeah, and I think when we think about cybersecurity, we oftentimes, I guess, overlook that like that whole decision-making framework and how do you manage it? We just think about the tools and how to protect your systems and the beachhead and all these metaphors yeah. that people love to use to describe how to protect the enterprise, but that alone's yeah. not going to do it, right? You have to have an overall strategy for how you're going to manage this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, number one, you want to have very clear governance and it's a misused word, but in essence, who's responsible for what here? And that has to come back to various executives ultimately. And it can't always be the CISO. It can't always be even the CIO. There's going to be some responsibilities that you want spanned out across other areas of the organization. And unless you've got that clear, then obviously things just don't get done. Or if you are in a high stress incident situation, then it's even harder to get things done because you know, people aren't thinking rationally in those environments so much. So, yeah, getting all those things defined up front, which is very much a business problem, is critical. But then in terms of proactively dealing with them, if you haven't got the responsibilities and accountabilities defined up front, then how do people know how to prepare? How do people know how to invest appropriately to get ready for that risk that they're supposed to be accountable for on behalf of their organisation? So, and then also, yeah, all those technical um, elements that you mentioned, Rich, there, I mean, they're all absolutely critical and, and very useful, of course, for many organisations. But where do you direct those? There's likely to be certain areas of your IT infrastructure, of your data storage, is absolutely critically important to the survivability of business. And that is going to vary a little bit depending on the nature of your business. Are you protecting against 
yeah, downtime because yeah, every day out of operation is a massive loss for you. Hey, protecting certain intellectual property is a, a major asset for your organisation. Do you have private information that you're holding on behalf of others, which is a, a major litigation or regulatory impact if that's leaked? So what is it that is the most important in technology infrastructure? But there's likely to be a whole bunch of things that aren't so important. So therefore, how are you directing your investment to utilize those tools in an appropriate way. Now, you mentioned cyber governance, and I hear a lot of people throw that term around. How do you define that? It's ultimately quite simple. It's like, who is responsible for what, right? That's ultimately what it is. And then you've got various levels of this responsibility. So it can include responsibility for investment, who holds the, the dollars on these things. Uh, it can be a responsibility for certain functions, can be a responsibility, say, for architectural choices and responsibility for, say, even processes. For instance, ISMS, where does responsibility for the ISMS sit? Uh, where does responsibility for components of the ISMS need to sit? And so it might be that the ISMS itself sits maybe under the CISO, if that's an appropriate place. But he may not be responsible for every element. There could be that there's, for instance... You know, supply and third-party contract uh, policies and procedures as part of the ISMS, maybe that sits over in the procurement team or a logistics team of some kind. And so it can be matrixed in its nature. But that's a, in essence what it is. Who's responsible for what? And then in terms of functions, some organisations will be thinking again about certain types of technology-related functions, but there's obviously other functions there that might be critical in terms of protecting the full landscape of risks. In a larger organization, I guess this could be, like you said, a CIO, it could be a CISO. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Look, I think there's a, a level of signal that most organizations send in terms of their maturity and understanding. I mean, the first signal of you know, lowest level maturity is you know, they don't have a CISO, or, uh, or maybe the CISO is a hat which is jointly shared with another role. So one person has multiple hats, including a CISO. And of course, that could be necessary just from a financial sustainability point of view, it's small organisations. That's the only way they can really survive. And uh, Or they might have a virtual CISO. That's actually not a bad move. But in some cases, some organisations don't have anyone. So that's the lowest level of maturity. But then as CISOs start to come into play, typically we would see most organisations are position them underneath the CIO. And it probably makes sense as a good starting point. Most of the risks are probably going to be in there or most of the high priority risks are going to be in there and it also helps integrate information security practices into the way in which that IT group works but that's the next level of maturity and after that much more mature organizations uh, and particularly if they've got high levels of cybersecurity risk then the CISO will actually move out from under the CIA because it'll be recognised as actually not an IT function. It's actually a much more broader business function. And in some cases, what we see is the CISO actually is part of the risk and audit team and, uh, and maybe even shared by the chief risk officer. It might be also he might have a CISO, he or she might have a CISO role. So um, it, it gives you some perspectives on... Um, and it's almost like a market signal organizations can send, you know, where do they think about um, information security? They think about it as being a fairly low level priority. They think about it as being a technology thing, or they think about it being a more a broader business-based risk. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. 
Ugh, not again. I can't find it anywhere. What's got you so frustrated? Uh, hi, Bob. Just trying to find an important email, but my inbox is a disaster. It's all ads and spam. It's exhausting. Sounds like you need somewhat of an inbox intervention. Have you heard of MySudo? MySudo? No, what's that? It's an awesome app where you can create a pseudo. It's kind of like a digital alias. Each of these pseudos comes with its own email to help you organize your digital life. It's the perfect tool to keep your personal and work emails spam free. So what you're saying is I can use one of these pseudo emails and never have to worry about spamming up my personal or work email? Yep. Plus it's super secure. You should download it. Downloading as we speak. You are a lifesaver. Don't let spam emails take over your life. Reclaim your inbox with MySudo. Download MySudo today and start your journey to a clutter-free digital world. Visit MySudo.com and remember, stay private. Yeah, I would imagine when it comes to cyber governance, it's critical that your CEO is buying into it because if you've got a CEO that's not really conscious of that area, not willing to put the money into it, that's got to be a big obstacle that you see in adoption of a good overall governance strategy. Yeah, definitely. Both the CIO and increasingly the board as well, and uh, and certainly in Australia, and I think the same in the US, is there's increasing penal and regulatory interest on uh, executive performance around cyber, but also boards and the board's awareness. So yeah, both of those is absolutely critical that on board, no pun intended. And but a lot of that comes down to understanding, right? Like fine, and we and I'm sure you've seen it, Rich, over many decades in the IT world, is technologists, you're complaining that the business people don't get it, right? The business people don't understand this. And the same happens in the cyber world. And there's an onus there to talk much more business language when it comes to cyber. And that business language ultimately is in the frame of business risks and the types of business scenarios that I was talking about earlier. That's a way to get them engaged and understanding is actually by talking their language, not expecting them to understand technology language. Now, you're based in Australia, so I don't know all the legalities surrounding this, but when it comes to, I guess, the liability, obviously, corporation can be held liable for breaches and issues related to how they're managing data. But is the individual also in criminal risk, I guess, in some extreme egregious cases? I'm not sure how the law works in Australia. Yeah, look, I think there's been some um, notable cases in the US that the SEC has taken up and put um, execs under the target. And that's increasingly possible here. And even at the board level, in terms of you know, some of the regulations that have come into play and the overall trajectory. If you look at the trajectory of regulations everywhere across the world, they're becoming much more onerous in these areas and much more targeted at individuals. And so so that's the same here. In terms of prosecuting successfully and effectively consummating that regulation against individuals, I think there's been limited examples here, if any that I'm aware of. There has been some cases against companies as a whole and and fines being placed against companies, but litigation against individuals, no, there's been some reputational damage against individuals. We've had some high profile breaches here, which have become very politically heated and uh, and individuals targeted. And so it's impacted on their reputation, maybe had an impact on their careers, but no specific litigation on them as such. 
Mark, how did you become interested in the information industry? <laughs> That's an old story, that one, Rich. But funnily enough, and I, I won't bore your viewers with all the gory details, but I, I was going to be a chef at one point. And back in my early stages of high school, I was studying all those cooking kind of things. And my eldest brother was doing electrical engineering at university and brought back home this little 8080 processor. And we pop a little screen on top and spending my evenings and weekends doing assembler programming and some basic programming and discovering the world of computers. And then completely switched to a full math science type uh, pathway and headed off to a mathematics bachelor's degree and, and computing. And yeah, that's how I uh, kicked off, Rich, many years ago now. I guess since you've been doing this for a while, where do you see this industry going? What does the future hold in the next five to 10 years, I guess? That's a really challenging question. You know, this is where the futurists uh, come into play and sort of come up with all these right, really cool things to talk about. Yeah, when we're developing strategy, you start moving for most organizations outside of about a two to three year window. It starts becoming challenging to be too prescriptive on what those third and fourth years and beyond looks like. Because, of course, they've got to go through the next year or two with capability building and other things that they've got to do successfully to then know what those next steps are. But also, the world is always changing. So the contextual environment for their own organisation will change and evolve over that next couple of years. And also, the technology landscape will change as well. There'll be new products and services coming in. So you can't be too prescriptive, but you can look at trajectories and general direction, which is how we you know, we form up our strategies, which go for you know, longer than a few years, um, where you can't be too prescriptive about you know, specific initiatives, but you can be um, directional in terms of where the investment's likely to be. So the IT industry is probably going to keep getting more diverse. The range of products, services, specializations, it's never got less diverse in the time I've been in the industry. So that's a trajectory that's always going to continue. If anyone's thinking about you know, what direction to go in their career, then there's going to be more and more options in the future than there has been in the past because areas of specializations are just getting broader and, and of course, certain areas are getting much deeper as well. So that's one thing. I mean, the industry is going to get more diverse. That's going to make it more challenging for buyers yeah, buyers getting directions on where they go, what they do, uh, where they put their priorities, how they standardise uh, for their organisations. Yeah, so that's more challenging, which again means that more and more so, yeah, technology and cyber have to become more and more pervasive to the basic disciplines of business, right? So if you go 20 years ago, I certainly know examples of talking to business stakeholders and, and trying to explain a return on investment on a business case and the investment profile, and then realizing that they actually don't understand the difference between a capital and expense and having to try to work that through very gently with them so I can get them across the line on a green to an investment. Yeah, these days, and even then, that's you know, relatively rare. These days, most people do understand basic financial concepts, but you go back 40, 50 years ago, and that wouldn't be true. Yeah, there'd be a lot of people who didn't understand basic financial concepts. And the same with digital and technology. More and more people now do understand the basics of uh, digital and technology and the complexities of implementing. Yeah, beyond just loading an app on, a, on their iPhone, right? And the same with cyber. So so that's yeah, another trajectory. Yeah, business people need to be more and more cyber savvy. And while there is all this increasing complexity, 
that breadth of knowledge to be able to communicate across you know, different domains is going to be more and more crucial. So, I mean, this is where people talk about AI, generative AI in particular, you know, taking over jobs. Well, yes, it may replace some. It's, it's certainly going to augment a lot, but there's always going to be you know, that human element of communicating effectively across bringing people together and trying to get movement happening in organisations. You can't replace that quite easily. How much is AI playing a role in this field, if at all? Sorry, Adam, how much is... How much is AI playing a role right now in the cyber world? Are you seeing a lot of impact? Is there a good application for it, or is it still too early to tell? I think in the tool sets, it's the same on um, on, on most um, COTS applications. They're increasingly being built into tool sets and helping with decision-maker advisory. Threat intelligence and team behavior and so forth is a perfect example of that. And Again, Rich, I'm not the technical specialist, and I know that some people know a lot more about this area than I do. But um, yeah, in terms of attacks and bad actors out there leveraging AI, um, yes, and so it has to be used on the defensive side as well. In terms of clients that we're seeing, yeah, obviously everybody's excited about generative AI, various levels of adoption, a lot of people are working out where it fits and how to manage it how to create guardrails around effective use, appropriate use, and in some cases, establishing specific tool sets that avoid some of the risks in terms of bias and misuse of information and so forth. So it's um, trained off a very specific set of data as opposed to a more public set of tools. So they're they're the types of areas that people are are looking at. But the big accelerators, of course, is what's built into the tool sets. And that includes even non-cyber COT solutions are building in AI into their automation and decision-making recommendations. When it comes to adopting, I guess, a good cyber governance framework, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? I would imagine one of them is just how the organization prioritizes the projects that they're doing, right? I mean, if you're not that interested in this and you've got three other things to work on, it's kind of tough to get people on board, right? Because it's more of a... It's a worst case scenario situation. If something really bad happens, now everybody wants to go do something about it. But if it hasn't happened yet, it's like, well, maybe we can put this off. Yeah, definitely there is that motivation element. Where does it fit on the priorities? It's the old important versus urgent dilemma. These things often are incredibly important. Are they urgent? Well, that depends on yeah, the leadership, doesn't it? Like if the leadership is saying it's important and you've got a deadline and this is to be in place and that helps. If that's not there, then uh, it just sits in that uh, always important, never urgent bucket and uh, some organisations will struggle. But the other big challenge here, Rich, yeah, particularly for frameworks and security management systems, is really about getting that balance right between do we lock down this organisation and make it so unproductive but very secure or do we have slightly more relaxed approaches? So how do we get the balance right between having appropriate controls in place but not restricting the ability for people to innovate and achieve and and be empowered in their jobs? I think that's the biggest challenge for most. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. Hmm. (sighs) Picture this. You are a key decision maker at your credit union. Your tellers are tired of the lengthy KYC process, fraud is a constant worry, and onboarding new members feels like a marathon. But what if there was a way to streamline it all? Enter the Pseudo Platform. 
Our reusable credential technology transforms the traditional KYC process, reduces fraud, strengthens communication security, and streamlines member onboarding. With Pseudo Platform, you can prevent fraud, save time, and create secure digital identities. And the best part? It's built right into your credit union's app. This is more than innovation. It's a commitment to providing your members a rewarding experience. We're live and ready to redefine how you do business. Don't wait. Give your credit union the upgrade it deserves. Identify any member in any channel at any time, all while improving convenience and reducing fraud. To learn more, contact us at pseudoplatform.com. That's pseudoplatform.com. Now, given all the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, how much has that changed, I guess, the way you manage your own personal data? I'm sure you've become more privacy conscious as a result of this work. Always. Yeah, always privacy conscious. I had a conversation with somebody the other day just about TikTok. And I've got TikTok on my phone. <laughs> and the other example that uh, what we were chatting earlier, Rich, about uh, me having that lovely, enjoyable coastal drive up um, California there. Year before last now, it's 2024, so it's in 2022. And and being asked what playlists I was playing on my phone, I said none because I wasn't going to plug my phone into the car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but obviously a lot of people do, and that's all fine, but who knows what's going on. So I'm much more conscious on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm sure there's blind spots that I've got. Yeah, I'm sure there's blind spots that we all have. Uh, having said that, you've also got to moderate it. You know, it's like, what's the risk for me? Obviously, if, if it's client data, uh, then there's going to be important things to protect. But I don't have any client data on my phone, so that makes it easy. But So I don't have to be ultra cautious about every element that I do on my phone. So again, it's fit for purpose with what your business risks are. So uh, no ring doorbell camera for you? <laughs> I think it's a public asset now, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a, yeah. uh, a ring doorbell camera, it's uh, accessible by anyone, anytime, everywhere. Pretty much. <laughs> If it's connected uh, to the internet, there's a vulnerability, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Pretty scary. It's reminding me of that movie with uh, Snowden, um, the Snowden movie where um, just about hopping to bed with his girlfriend and looked up and saw his laptop still open and he jumped up and put a piece of tape across the uh, camera. Uh, there might be a lot of people putting tape across their cameras uh, around their home if they come from the ringing company or any company for that matter. Yeah. Working with all the businesses, if you think back, I know probably some of it's a blur, a lot of companies that you've worked with, but when you take away from that experience, do you feel hopeful? Sometimes you get scared because you're thinking, wow, there's real vulnerabilities in companies. And of course, we're all doing business with technology companies today because you can't hide. Are we more vulnerable than we realize or is it kind of somewhere in the middle of the road? Well, I think that's a big unknown question, isn't it? It's a really bit of a guessing game on that. You know, I was at a lunch, I think maybe a year or two ago, and uh, they had a, a major defence speaker there, and, and he was asked a question about, well, you know, how many assets do you think are infected with malware and, and able to be you know, triggered at any time at, the, at a bank actor's choosing? And he goes, well, it's a very easy answer to that question. We've got to assume all of them. And if that's the assumption, it's the right answer, of course. So that has to be the assumption. And uh, you know, we're well beyond perimeter security, aren't we? It's all about it has to be an assumption they're going to get in and how do we actually detect and remove and recover. It's not that that's not unrealistic. That is absolutely a realistic scenario, not just the assets he's talking about, but it could be assets in our utilities, critical infrastructure. 
It could be. And some will have much more certainty about whether that's true or not than others. But there'll be some that don't have much visibility at all on this area. And we do know that. That is a little bit scary if you unpack it and uh, think about what could be availably triggered in the event of a really nasty scenario, right? Um, given you know, we've got two wars underway globally at the moment, then if others start breaking out, then what bombs are already ticking in our assets that can be triggered at any time? I guess in some cases we don't know. That's the scary part. Yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, I guess, Mark, I want to be respectful for your time. I know you're kind of up against the clock here, but in general, who are you looking to do business with? If somebody fits that profile, where can they go to, to reach you? Yeah, I think for us, yeah, particularly if organizations out there are rethinking exactly, well, you know, where are their investment priorities? Where's their investment profile? Every organization has constraints on financials. You can't do everything in the cyber world. There's always more you can do. So there's a constraint for every organization. If you're looking to make assessments on where you do that in the best way from a business risk perspective, how do you engage your business stakeholders more effectively to get the support for initiatives, then with the organization, it will certainly fit that well. Okay. And the website is? informpros.com.au. Okay. Very good. Any uh, words of wisdom or any other messages you want to leave us with before we go? Uh, I'd love to have something juicy for you, mate. But yeah, it's Friday and a long week here in Australia. And um, so, yeah, my brain is sort of running out. Is the weather <laughs> good? That's what's important. Um, I think it's going to be fine for the weekend. Yeah, we might be lucky. It'll be hot. Very yeah. different to Salt Lake City there, Rich. And uh yeah, but yeah, hopefully you get out to the ski fields. We'll, we'll get out to the beach. Yeah, there's no beaches here, unfortunately. Yeah. That's a very <laughs> sad thing. But yeah, I think, you know, it's good for our audience to always make that connection to the personal privacy part of it too, because they do they, yeah. they do intersect, right? I mean, we're all Absolutely. Doing, you know, we're doing business all the time. Like in a future episode, I'm going to talk about my uh, airline account, you know, one of those frequent flyer accounts, and it got yeah. hacked and somebody stole enough miles to book a one-way trip. And it was clearly not me, but it just makes oh, me, wow. yeah, it makes me wonder. It's a major airline. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, how vulnerable are we? I don't like to get into the details, but it was very sophisticated how they did it. And I get a letter from the airline basically blaming me. What? <laughs> yeah. Like it was my fault. Yeah. Big corporates, you know, they're blaming somebody else. But I think there is a lot of sort of hidden risks out there, right? I think there is a lot. Now, Will they matter in the scheme of things if they're triggered? Uh, some of that's uh, individual, right? Like in Australia, we have a medical health record, electronic medical health record. Now, from my point of view, I'm fine. Get all my stuff up there, right? Like I was being asked to, about this specialist that I went to like 20 years ago once. And it's like, man, I'm going through email records trying to find. I couldn't find it. If that was on my medical health record, that'd be easy, right? Like I can't be expected to remember every level of detail. But for others... They do not want it up there. If my health record gets hacked, I mean, big deal. Who cares, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah, I got some knee operations back then. Or I, had, I went to a doctor about that. You know, it's like, you know, I'm a human. Kill me, right? But um, for some people, they're really, really super hyper-cautious about any of that stuff being out there. I think some of it's a bit irrational. but So it does vary. You know, I guess it's a point I'm making. People assess risks very differently. So I think the big ones are more around people's health and not not health records as in the protection of people so this is about you know threats of war or major impacts on society they're the big ones 
water systems being shut down or or interrupted electricity systems being shut down. You know, critical systems being inoperable. There's that Netflix movie, which uh, it's a bit of a crappy movie. It was a very frustrating movie. Um, what was it called? It's got Julia Roberts in it. It's a pretty recent movie. It's actually production out of a Obama production house. But it, it ends up being a war. America's under attack. But it starts with a ship, a big tanker, out of control, but driving its way up onto a beach. And then there's planes falling out of the sky because um, a range of sort of systems have been hacked, presumably, and pilots and captains haven't got control of their of their vehicles and vessels and so forth. So it turns out it's a kinetic war as well breaks out. But they're the kind of scenarios which are the scary ones, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think you touched on a good point. It really does come down to personal risk profile. Everybody's got a different risk profile. If you know, some people are in the public eye, some people are not. Just depends on your situation, I guess. Completely. Yeah. And and look, some people have certain things in their past, which uh, they don't want everybody knowing about. That's understandable and quite reasonable as well. Yeah, it is very much personal. And to some degree that manifests into a business too, Rich. Uh, So, yeah, business executives will have different perceptions around what's going to be important for their organization. Most definitely. So that is informpros.com.au. That's it. Yeah. And that's where they can get a hold of you. Are you uh, doing any speaking engagements? Anything you wanted to promote before we go? Not really at the moment. Mate. Okay. Um, I'm just doing some podcasts here and there. And um, I did a few last year, but not really pushing that hard at the moment. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm trying to write a couple of books, actually. <laughs> oh, you are. Oh, very good. You got your yeah, work cut yeah. out for you. I was supposed to get a bit more done over the Christmas period than I did. I'm going to get myself moving on. <laughs> well, Mark, I mean, this was great. I appreciate your insight. Wow. I'm sure you've got a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> got a few. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, Mark. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. It's a pleasure, mate. Nice to meet you. Okay. Nice to meet you too. All the best. See you. Bye. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Privacy Files. In our next episode, we'll be tackling one of the wildest issues facing both companies and individuals. Employment scams. From employees working three full-time jobs at once to fraudsters who prey on those desperate for work, this is one of those episodes that will leave you stunned. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.